listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W dot com. Click on the contact link and submit your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text 757-774-8482. Leave your voicemail there and I'll use that as part of the show. And now, the Fret Files Podcast. Indeed, welcome to the show. It's the Fret Files Podcast, your fortnightly foray into guitar geekery. My name is Eric Daw, your personal guitar scientist with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Sitting beside me is my lovely co-host and wife, Mel. Greetings. I will read the listener-submitted questions, and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier. That's right. I will. I will try. Uh, We've got a good episode today. I'm excited. I'm going to do something I've never really done before. It's going to be cool. Okay. Do I get to know what it is? Well, you'll see. I'll show you. All right. When we get there, you'll see. Okay. It'll be fun. What have you been working on lately? I got a um, floral handbag on my bench right now. Oh, wow. It's going to be kind of like a tote messenger bag crossover. It's more like a tote. Hmm. Yeah. Melissa is a leather worker, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. What are you working on, Eric? Uh, I have been working on a few odds and end repairs, uh, some fret levels and and, uh, the headstock repair. I have two pretty big vintage restorations that I need to get underway. One is a vintage Martin, a 50s triple aught. uh, What is it? A triple aught 21, I think. <clears throat> and uh, the other one is a Gibson, like a Jumbo, a Gibson Jumbo. They both need neck resets and different things. So I got to get those underway. That'll be fun. Neato. Oh, yeah. We have some good questions this episode. We've got questions about fret hump and decals or decals. I don't know. Blacklight. Questions about blacklight. What is this? Some kind of... Uh, Blacklight Poster Podcast? No, it's a guitar repair podcast. But first, we're going to do some uh, guitar history. The Guitar History Corner. Oh, thanks, Mr. Announcer. So uh, I wanted to talk about the history of guitar distortion. Cool. Let's hear it. Well, uh, and what better way to do that than with sound clips? And we got some good feedback, people talking about they really like, a lot of people really liked uh, the little clip that we put in of Hound Dog Taylor. Cool. And I thought, you know, what a good... We'll just use little snippets so we don't get sued, but here are just little snippets of some of the earliest recorded guitar distortion sounds. Cool. Now, how early do you think this goes? Like the 40s? Yes. 1946. And this wow. this spans a whole bunch of different genres, too. You'd think that it would all be either blues or rock and roll. This is country. Well, really, it's it's 
Texas swing or Western swing, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a subgenre of country. But Bob Wills' Boogie was a song in 1946, and uh, the... I, my goodness, I can't remember the name of the guitar player. I think his name is Junior Bernard. But uh, check out his raunchy guitar tone. How about that? And does he have a pedal? How is he getting this No, this is, this is way before... There right. was any kind of pedal. Right. So how did how was he getting this sound? He's got a small, early, early amp, probably like a, a little lap steel amp, uh-huh. you know, and he's got it cranked up all the way. And, it and you know, a lot of these recordings, it would be like a a guitar that or an amp that was malfunctioning, really, mm-hmm. that needed service. But it, it would be just falling apart, this, you know, this gnarly, uh, crazy tone, and they'd go, hey, I like that. Huh. Um, I have heard that people used to cut slits in speakers to get distortion, but I don't know if that's true. I've never really heard it, you know, one way or the other if that's really true, but that mm-hmm. was Bob Wills, and really surprised me that some of the earliest recorded distorted guitar is is on country records. Yeah. Wild, huh? Yeah. Now we go to uh, Rocket 88. This is widely recognized as one of the, not not the, but one of the earliest rock and roll songs. This is uh, Rocket 88 by Jackie Brinston and his Delta Cats. The guitar is just playing a rhythm, but it's a low rhythm. And uh, this was recorded in, in uh, Memphis at, at Sam Phillips Sun Studios. And the... Uh, the little rhythm line he's playing is super distorted. Now they say I've uh, I've seen a lot of uh, articles about this song because it's just kind of a famous song. It, it was kind of one of those songs that spurred rock and roll. This is 1951, and I've read that on the way to the recording session, they dropped the amp, and they got there, and it sounded like that. Wow. It, and it had it didn't sound like that before they dropped it. Right. But they dropped it, it sounded like that, and Sam Phillips at Sun Studios loved it. He said, great, you know. Huh. Turn it up all the way. Let's get that on tape. That, so, doesn't, that sounds apocryphal. That doesn't sound it like does, a real story. And, but I've read that, and it sounds like something Sam Phillips would do. I love Sam Phillips. You can't go wrong with anything on Sun Records. Sam Phillips is awesome. So fast forward a couple years. This is uh, one of my favorite songs. This is Guitar Slim. His real name is Eddie Jones. In 1953, doing The Things That I Used To Do. Pretty cool uh, distorted guitar. Yeah. What do you think? It's fascinating. Have, I don't know if you've heard that song before or I not. I don't think I have. The The opening chord of that song is so cool. He's just blaring. The things that I used to do. Oh, yeah. 
I love that song. I wish I could just play the whole thing, but that's not what this podcast is about. So the next little snippet of some distorted guitar I've got for you here is a different genre. Not blues, not country, not rhythm and blues. Now we're getting into rock and roll. I know this song. Oh, yeah. I hope everybody knows this song. Oh, yeah. That, of course, is Link Ray, 1959, uh, his, his hit Rumble, which was an instrumental, but it was it was so edgy that it was banned all across uh, in, on many radio stations, banned it because it was so edgy. Wow. And instrumental. It didn't even have bad words, but it was just, it just had such a bad attitude that. Wow. Yeah, I know. Crazy, huh? But that really gets into like super distorted, you know, rock and roll. And then really mainstream stuff didn't really start getting distorted guitars until uh, the mid and late 60s. But check this out. This is 1961. Country again. This is on a Marty Robbins song. This is Grady Martin's bass solo on Marty Robbins' uh, 1961 country tune, Don't Worry. Check out this crazy tone. This is a country hit from 61. I mean, just insane, right? So we take distortion for granted today. And back in the day, you know, most studios and most engineers were struggling to get as clean of a sound as possible. That was the goal, you know. But um, outliers and rebels that wanted a crazy, raunchy tone. It happened. It happened. And, it and uh, you know, each one of these songs that I played were so influential um, on a lot of the later guitar players who, who really used a lot of distortion, guys like Jimi Hendrix and, you know, yeah, uh, all that kind of stuff. When, you know, once Led Zeppelin and all that got, got, got around... That's when the real distorted guitars came out. But I just love that early distortion because it's such a, it's just, these songs are just jams. I just love it. Anyway, that's guitar history. The history of guitar distortion through song snippets. Cool. What do you think? Did you like that? Yeah, that's pretty neat. I mean, it was fun. We've never done song snippets before, really. Yeah. So I thought it would be fun to do. I think we've got uh, a call or two to take. So let's do that. Hey, Eric and Melissa, this is Adam calling from Sonora, California. And, hey, I was uh, working on a Telecaster replacing the nut with a bone nut, and the customer provided one of the pre-cut bone nuts, and it had a, uh, you know, one of those nuts that had a, a radius on the bottom. Uh, and fortunately, he, the pre-cut bone nut had that radius on it, and so I just knocked out the old nut pop the new one in um uh but i was wondering uh this is my first time doing that kind of nut um if you're replacing a nut um and it has the radius nut slot and you're and you're cutting your own nut do you um do you put the radius 
on the bottom of the nut slot, or do you just um, do you just file the nut slot flat on your new nut blank? Thanks, guys. Love the podcast. You bet. Thank you. I use pre-cut uh, blanks for fender-style um, nut replacements, and I've got a drawer full of uh, flat bottom ones and radius bottom ones, and I will match the nut to the slot. So if the slot has a flat bottom, I use a flat bottom nut blank. If the guitar has a radius slot, then I'll use a radius blank. I never would uh, flatten the flatten out the slot on the guitar. <clears throat> and I actually prefer the radius ones. Um, I don't know why. It's just, that's just how the old ones were, and that's just what I like. But uh, um, they're usually seven and a quarter inch radius, and you can just buy them pre-radius. They're, they're cheap and plentiful. So that's what I do. I don't modify the slot. I just use the right nut blank. How's that? Cool. Uh, and Ben in the UK uh, left me a nice uh, voicemail, and this is great. I, I listened to it when he sent it, and this might be one of the best calls we've ever had. Cool. You're, you're going to like this. I'm here excited. we go. Yeah. Hi, Eric and Mel. It's Ben here again in the UK. Uh, it was rain. That was the sound of my studio. <laughs> but the sun's out now. Uh, thanks for your advice on the Tysco. I've um, I've lubed up my my nut and my tuners. I'm going to live with the saddle for now. Um, but yeah, it's and and thanks for turning me on the Hound Dog Taylor. I'd never heard of him, but I've been listening to him non-stop since I just listened to the podcast. It's killer. In case you wonder what the guitar sounds like, um, it sounds like this. I've got it plugged in now. There's no pedals or anything. This is great. Drunk, so it's just straight in. <laughs> Good work. I love it too. Ben, you're my new favorite guitar player. Ben in the UK. Do you have records? You got to let me know. Do you have CDs? Because <clears throat> I love your playing and the tone you're getting out of that guitar is killer. I just, now, now everybody's going to want to yeah, put a clip of, clips. Of, of themselves playing. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't do that. Ben was allowed because uh, he was the first and it was just. He should also be the last because it was so good. That was so good. It was well, so great. And he's obviously in a studio. Yeah. Yeah. Getting the sound. That sound. His sound is so good. Yeah. Uh, it's too bad that I have to mix this into a mono podcast because the stereo sound of it, and it's it's just fabulous. That guitar sounds great. Yeah. I love those funky old Japanese guitars with pickups that they accidentally sound amazing. It's like... The, they didn't know what they were doing. I don't think they just they they magically created created some pickups that that uh, really have a sound. So that's killer. Thanks, Ben. Uh, should we take a little break before we do some uh, 
before we do some uh, questions. Questions. Thank you. I could not think of the word question. What's wrong with my brain? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, let's take a break. All right. This episode of the Fret Files podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters. Imagine always having fresh roasted coffee in your home. Now imagine that you didn't even have to leave the house for it. A subscription with Apex Coffee Roasters makes all of this possible. You choose the plan that best suits your needs, and they handle the rest. Their roaster will select a coffee option just for you and send it your way. This is a great way to try all their different coffees. Discounts are applied if you get a six-month or a year-long subscription. And shipping, get it, shipping is Uh included. Wow. I I assume that that's just if you're in the USA, but maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I don't know. A uh, great coffee every morning just got a little bit easier. That's apexcoffeeroasters.com. They also have just single, you know, of course, you can just buy a single bag, but this subscription is probably their their best deal. And if you go there and use my promo code, you get 10% off, an additional 10% off. That's my promo code is PINUP, P-I-N-U-P. That's at apexcoffeeroasters.com. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore, except for my buddy Rick at playersgearmusic.com. You can go to Players Gear Music. You can order a neck straightening iron. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I I think it I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've I've used a lot. I've made my own. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the '70s and '80s but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from playersgearmusic.com. They're $7.49. I know that seems like a lot. It's it's a tool. I tell you what, it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to his website and make an offer for $6.99 and mention the Fret Files podcast, $6.99, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron, a neck press, a neck heater, whatever you want to call it. Playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you, it's an invaluable tool, indispensable. I'd be lost without mine. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out, and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Decals, decals, or decals. Do these Uncle Nerdy's decals meet your needs? Nerkies, Uncle Nerkies decals. Uh, do they meet your needs? I have no affiliation with this company, nor am I a customer with them. Cheers, that's from Eric in Kenmore, Washington. He oh, sent yeah. us a, a link to a website. A nice URL to Uncle Nerkies decals. Uh, thank you. Eric, I put out the call for, you know, if anyone knew of a water slide decal company that does old school lithograph or screen printing 
uh, water slide decals uh, that I'm definitely in the market for some. Close, but no cigar. I checked out this website. They sell very nice decals, but they're water slide or inkjet, and then uh, they're hand-painted. That They backfill uh, with acrylic paint. So you couldn't get like a a full printed like pinup girl or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So very nice decals, but not what I'm looking for, unfortunately. Thank you, Eric. Hello to Eric and Mel. I'm another guy in, from the cornfields of Indiana. Apologies if this has been discussed. I'm on episode number 90. Fret hump. I define fret hump as a slight rising of the fretboard where it meets the body, either on a bolt on or set net guitar. This causes awesome fret rattling. I've been able to fix this by ramp ramping down the frets, but I've had mixed results. Though I can see the hump, I've had no luck verifying it with the straight edge. Sometimes when I remo- remove a neck with fret hump, the hump disappears. What are the causes of fret hump? How do I determine if fret ramping will help or if I'll need to pull the frets and reshape the fretboard? Thank you. Yeah, you bet. Thanks for writing in. You know, sometimes a question comes in and I have to I have to rephrase it in my mind to my own terminology and and really think about because this is not a problem that I that I really see a lot of. And I and and I read the question and I have to think why. Well, <clears throat> when I realize what he's talking about, I think what he's talking about, uh then then I can answer the question a little bit better. But I think what he's talking about is fall away, which what what you want on a, especially on an acoustic guitar, is the neck should be uh, nice and straight or maybe just a tiny bit of relief from the nut to about the 14th fret. And then after that, it should fall away and actually um, go away from the strings. Now, when you sight a neck like that, it might kind of make it look like there's a neck hump there, a, a hump there, but, uh, and you see this on fenders sometimes too. It, if, if you, if you can get a little bit of fall away on a fender, that's, that's a good thing. Um, but it's not a problem that really needs to be fixed if it's, if it's not causing, uh, fret buzz. Now, if you've got, if if it's causing fret buzz and it really is a hump there, um, one of the ways you could test that, uh, whether it's the frets or the, uh, or the fingerboard itself is with one of those notched straight edges and it, it, they have a notch for each fret and it's cut to, I, you know, mine has one side is like a Gibson scale and the other side's a fender scale. So you can, you know, use it on most guitars, um, the notches uh, allow you to rest the fret, rest the straight edge on the fretboard um, and see what's going on with the fretboard. Uh, and then you could you can move the thing just a little bit and, and then check the frets as well. So you can check both. So that can be helpful. And it certainly does happen. Sometimes you have to remove five or six frets and then level that section of board and then reinstall the frets. It, it happens. Each guitar is a new challenge and each guitar is, is it's all going to be case by case. So there's really not a uh, one size fits all 
solution to this problem that you're describing. But um, on a lot of acoustics, uh, it's actually uh, it's actually a thing that's built into the guitar. It's you know the the fingerboard falls away, falls the fingerboard moves away from the strings from the like the fourteenth fret up. So thank you so much for writing in. Hi, Eric. Just a quick question. What's the best way to remove string through ferrules from a Telecaster, especially super tightly installed ferrules that are flush with the body? I want to replace the aftermarket ferrules in an old Telecaster body with era correct ones. Thanks a lot in advance. I hope you guys are doing well and enjoying the summer. We just had to bring out the winter jackets in the last few days. Crazy world. That's from Sebastian. Mm. Sebastian. Thank you, Sebastian. Uh, I... Just saw a friend of mine named Joe Reggio. Joe is in Tacoma, Washington, and he does guitar restorations, and he makes, you know, class, world-class guitars. But he has a cool trick for getting ferrules out. He takes a drywall screw, and he will actually start threading the drywall screw into the hole of the ferrule, and it doesn't... It does. It it shouldn't damage the ferrule, but from the back or the front. Uh, from the back of the guitar, uh-huh. you know, with the strings off, of course. Um, you put a drywall screw in there, and the threads are just the right size that they'll start to grab the internal um, hole in the ferrule, and then you can just work it out with a screwdriver. Wow. Yeah, if you go to Joe Riggio's Instagram, he's he posted something about it a few months ago. You'll have to scroll down a little bit and to find that. But that's how he does it, and it was pretty slick. I'd never done it that way, but um, maybe I'll try that next time I need to do it. The way I've always done it, I took... I, I had an old Phillips head screwdriver that uh, was just getting worn out the tip was getting worn out Uh so i ground it flush and then ground it just a little bit it was almost the perfect diameter to fit inside those ferrules and so i just i i uh ground it just a little bit so that it would fit ground it and polished it so that it just fits perfectly inside a ferrule Uh and then once it's in there just by rocking back and forth as you pull up on the thing, it will just pull those ferrules out. Interesting. Yeah. If you're doing this on a finished guitar, you know, a guitar with paint on it, uh-huh. uh, then it's not a bad idea to use a, a hairdryer or a heat gun and just, just heat up the finish just a tiny little bit. You don't want to get crazy. You can cook it with a heat gun. Yeah. But, you know... um. Heating up the finish will help if you're worried about the finish um, cracking cracking and flaking away when you remove those ferrules. So that's that. There's two ways to do it, my way and Joe Riggio's way, uh, and they both work really well. I've had great luck with um, with that modified screwdriver that just barely fits inside the hole. Um, so... If anybody has any other way that they remove Telecaster ferrules out of the back of Telecasters, write in and let us know. Thanks, Sebastian. Hi, Eric. I've read that people sometimes use a black light to examine a vintage guitar when trying to authenticate it. What are they looking for when they do this? 
Thanks for the podcast. That's from Jim. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Jim. I first came across this like 20 years ago, and the people I saw doing it said that they could tell if the finish was original by the way that it glowed. Like they could tell, you know, you turn off all the lights, you have a black light, you look at the finish, and you can tell if it's the just the right, you know, hue of green or something. Oh, that's old lacquer. Turns out new lacquer does that too. So that's really not a way to determine whether or not the finish is original. But what it will tell you is if there are any finish repairs. Finish repairs can be almost invisible to the eye or, or invisible to the eye. And you put a black light next to it and it tells everything. Interesting. You, you, you'll see... You can see a lot of, um, you, yeah, you can't hide from the black light if there's a finish repair. Didn't um, Emerald City do a video on authentication? Authentication. Emerald City Guitars? Yeah. I'm sure I they did. Tyler Geske was talking about it on one of their videos. Oh, I'm sure they did. He I'll have to watch that. Into detail about blacklight. I don't remember. It was a few months ago. I don't remember exactly mm. what it was. I'll have to watch that. Yeah. It, it'll, it, it's, it's just another way to, to look at the finish because it, it will highlight imperfections and repairs and flaws that you might otherwise have missed. So that's what the, that's what the blacklight really is about. And, uh, to me, and, and sometimes you hear people say, well, that, if you, if you look at a guitar under blacklight, that'll tell you whether the finish is original or not. And I disagree with that. I, I, I just don't think that that's necessarily true, but it will highlight repairs. Thank you, Jim. Hello, Eric and Melissa. Love the podcast. I've noticed some prices for vintage guitars have skyrocketed lately. Yeah, me too. What does the future hold for the vintage guitar market? Do you see prices continuing to rise? What might happen to the vintage guitar market once the baby boomer generation is gone? Hmm. Thanks. That's from Terry. Hmm. Thanks, Terry. Interesting question. I, I wish I knew. I really don't have an insight. Um... It's anybody's guess what vintage guitar prices are going to do uh, because they have, in the past a few times, they have skyrocketed and then dipped. I mean, it, it, it could happen again, certainly. Um, it would be tied, I would assume, to everything else. I mean, if we had a huge real estate bubble or if we had, uh, you know, a giant stock market crash, then guitars could follow suit, but they might not, too. I, you know, things don't always do what you think they're going to do. Like, for example, gold, usually the price goes up when the stock market goes down, but not always. So um, it's hard to even say. It's really hard to say. Is it just going to go up and up and up and up forever? I'm sure there'll there'll be corrections. But when and how much, I, it, that's anybody's guess. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, it would be foolish for me to even, to, to even try to tell you what I think, because I don't, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't know, but you're right. Some, uh, vintage guitar prices really have skyrocketed lately. Pre CBS custom color fenders are just off the charts. Uh, you know, 59 or 50, 
uh, late fifties Gibson Les Pauls have just gone off the charts. You know, all the really high end stuff just got even more high end lately, which is interesting. He also asks, "What might happen to the vintage guitar market once the baby boomer generation is gone?" I've heard this postulated before that that the vintage guitar market is largely driven by people who remember the original music and it's nostalgic for them to own a piece of, you know, rock and roll history or something. I don't know. I I don't know. And, you know, I think that there's enough collectors and the population of the world increases, right? Uh, So uh, I don't think that the bottom's going to fall out because the baby boomers are are, uh, getting up there in age. I don't think that's going to happen. But again, I don't know. I don't know. So I'm not much help, but thanks for the question, Terry. Hello. Why isn't your podcast on YouTube? Thanks. That's from James. Thanks, James. Melissa, would you like to would you like to answer that question? Why would our podcast be on YouTube? <laughs> it's not a video podcast. Thank you. See now I don't have to say it. I don't have to be a jerk. <clears throat> well, there are audio only podcasts on YouTube. That's for people who don't know how to make a podcast, I, I think. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a podcast is, is an RSS feed embedded into a website and you get it through, you can get it through all kinds of different, you know, apps and downloading stations, whatever. But yeah. uh, I could put the podcast on YouTube, but why would I? It just seems like a strange thing for me to do. And you're already listening to the podcast, so why do you want me to put it on YouTube? I I don't know why I would put it on YouTube. YouTube is for videos, and podcasts are audio only. If it was a video podcast, oh yeah, I'd put it on on YouTube. And it would be so boring. It really would, because we're just sitting here in our our jammies in our basement (laughs) talking about guitars and uh, who cares one of the greatest i just i gotta mention one of the greatest video podcasts that you could check out is uh, colleen fazio her her amp repair channel oh cool yeah it's cool it's great she's really good i mean she knows what she's talking about she's a pro and uh she just has a really good speaking cadence and very thoroughly explains what's going on so that even an amp idiot like me, like I know about guitars, I don't really know much about amps. Uh, I learned so much from her, uh, just the few videos that I watched. I've got to go back and watch some more. So if you haven't checked out Colleen Fazio's uh, amp repair channel on YouTube, you got to check it out. Really worth watching. Do you know what her channel is? I can find out. I think it's probably Fazio Electric. It probably is. Um, I'm just going to... Is it Fazio or Fazio? Well, that's a good question as well. What did I say? <laughs> I think you said Fazio. Maybe she'll Maybe she'll tell us. Uh, it hey looks everyone. like... Oh, here... Holy cow, 5,000 subscribers. That's pretty damn cool. Um, I just wanted to say thank you to all the new subs as well. Well, I was hoping she would say her name. Uh, it's 
Fazio Fazio Electric. Now we don't know how to say it. Now I don't know how to say it. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry, Colleen. Uh, I think it's it's Fazio. Fazio? Fazio? If I say it fast, maybe nobody will... uh, (laughs) Maybe nobody will notice. Yeah. Um, But yeah, Fazio Electric on YouTube. She has 26,000 subscribers. Dang. I I mean, way more than us. Way more than us. Nice so job. I know. So you've probably already checked it out. But if you haven't, check it out because her, her amp videos are just top notch. They're very good. Anyhow, that does it for this episode of the Fret Files podcast. Thanks so much for listening and thanks for participating. Please drop us a line. We need questions for the show. You can submit questions and comments by going to my website. That's ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C. D-A-W dot com. Click the contact link and submit your question or comment there. We will use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to uh, call and leave a voice message at 757-774-8482. You can call any time of night or day and leave us a message there and we'll use that as part of the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time. Good night. <laughs>